As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. In the final moments away at Brentford on the weekend, Arsenal went top of the Premier League. Kai Havertz hasn't exactly hit the ground running, but could this be liftoff for his Arsenal career? I know it's always hard when a new signing comes and they, they pay a lot of money for you, so they, they think it goes quite quite easy and quite fast. But uh, yeah, I'm just thankful for all of them to keep supporting me. And with the best defence in the division, are Arsenal a better team, if not quite as fun to watch? I'm Ayo Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Let's get into this. Arsenal winning 1-0 away at Brentford. I'm joined by The Athletic's David Ornstein, also Arsenal writer Amy Lawrence and also German football writer Raphael Honingstein. Look, Amy, Kai Havertz arriving back post to rescue the day for Arsenal. That clearly was a great moment for the club, but still speculation as to how Kai Havertz works in this team, no? I was thinking about it before and so many people have spent quite a lot of time. It's nearly December, remember, so... Everybody's entitled to adaptation time, assimilation time. That's fine. It's not been the quickest, I guess, for an established player. And I think quite a lot of the first few months of the season, people have just been scratching their heads going like, where does he fit in? Where does he fit into the team? And you almost would like to have a kind of um, some sort of inside track into Mikel Arteta's brain and say, what What did you picture? You know, what? what was the plan? because it's been quite hard to establish and he's played in various different roles to try and get him firing. I guess that one thing he brings that is undeniable is attacking height. So it was just uh, exactly the right time, I think. <laughs> Again, that they felt they probably needed to win just to take advantage of what others were doing over the weekend. Didn't look like it was happening. Struggling to create chances. You know, Saka gets a millisecond away from being double marked and Havertz finished. It was a really nice moment. And it was fascinating because most players, you think, might kind of milk that kind of thing. And again, this is we're all trying to psychoanalyse Kai Havertz, poor guy. <laughs> but when you see Mikel Arteta headlocking him 
and dragging him almost reluctantly over to the away fans, who did not stop singing his name by the way. You know, Arteta even afterwards said, I did it because he wasn't going to, which felt insightful and interesting. And there's clearly a, a fascinating player and a fascinating character in there. And it's just getting him to feel comfortable enough to do his thing and fit into the into the game plan. Yeah, Raf, I know you've written about Kai Havertz uh, and the pieces on The Athletic right now, but um, I thought what was interesting about your piece is that based on all the places he's played since Leverkusen, Arsenal and also Chelsea, and even now with the current German squad, there's a line that really stuck with me. He says, we only ever get a glimpse of him, but never the full picture. But you have a lot of love of Kai Havertz. Tell me why. Because I have seen the, the fully formed uh, Havertzness in, in its pomp. And it's a, it's a sight to behold. <laughs> and I'm wondering, along with everybody else, where this has gone, why we haven't seen it. Uh, we've only seen bits of it at Chelsea. We have only seen uh, even fewer bits at Arsenal in, in, uh, in a new position, mostly. Arteta clearly has seen enough to be heavily invested uh, both in a financial and by extension in a personal sense as a coach in him and is determined to make it happen. But yeah, baby steps at this point, baby steps. Um, I think Ateta's big idea was was to have two number 10s in two number eights positions, Odegaard on the right and Havertz on the left and a holding midfielder behind them. And it would offer the sort of the dynamism and the, the cuteness but even in Havertz with the height that Amy mentioned, enough of a presence to make it all work. But we haven't really seen that midfield work. Um, I don't know if they're going to get an extended run together. I think away from home, I'm not sure. Ateta still believes that this is the best setup. But it could work in theory. It could work on paper. We just um, We just don't know yet. I'm interested by what you said there's the two number 10s playing the two number eights, which kind of is the first time I think I've really understood the intention. So thanks for that. <laughs> um, but even using that Erdegaard comparison is quite interesting because while he was clearly very, very talented as well when he arrived, it still took him longer than you might think to really find that rhythm and really feel comfortable enough to express himself fully at Arsenal so maybe there's a kind of helpful example there yeah and there is something I think that maybe works in Havertz's favour I think everyone at the club understands that Arteta is incredibly meticulous and detailed when it comes to what he wants from his players in the final third you'd think that more creative players would be given freedom as you said to express themselves but there are very specific rules of what they can and can't do and should do and somebody close to Havertz told me that Havertz is, is aware of all these instructions and is trying to fulfill them as best as possible. But maybe in that determination to do whatever Ateta wants from him, something gets lost a little bit at this moment. Maybe it's not internalized enough. Maybe he's still second-guessing himself. And I think those split moments that you miss on the pitch that can make all the difference. He looks a little bit hesitant. He looks a little bit unsure of what he's trying to do at times. And if Odegaard is the right example, or Fabio Vieira is another example, 
of a player who took a long time to figure out what Ateta wants and then being able to deliver it. Maybe this is a different kind of adaptation process. I think we would have all liked to see more output already from somebody who's so expensive and who's had, of course, experience in the Premier League for a while now. Yeah, I, I want to talk about um, Kai Havertz being deployed as a, a wing-back for Germany a little later on, Rafa. But uh, we'll, we'll move on and, and bring David in. And let's go back to what Rafa was talking about. You know, it's a big fee, uh, David. Can you just give listeners a, a glimpse of what Mikel Arteta, who we've just mentioned is a very specific manager, was looking at when they thought to bring Havertz in? Well, Arsenal's pursuit of Kai Havertz goes way back before Mikel Arteta. So they were very interested in him when he was a young player at Bayer Leverkusen. They scouted him extensively under the Arsene Wenger regime. So you're talking about uh, recruitment personnel like Francis Kajijal, Peter Clark, Brian McDermott, even Ty Gooden and Danny Kaibassian. Uh, they were watching his debut season at great length. I was told sort of at least 25 games. Um, and so he was on their radar very much. At one point, I think when he was really young, more was seen as a development player on the left wing. And then around 2020, before joining Chelsea, it was in the sort of number 10 role. And, and other players they were looking at around then included the likes of Fekir and Ruiz, uh, even Odegaard, of course, who, who eventually came to sign. But uh, they were always in contact with the representatives. And, and it was about when he would sign in a contract, whether he would sign a, a contract with them. When he did, which was always the, the intention, his value went out of the sort of bracket that Arsenal were looking to spend in those days. Um, and that's why by the time Chelsea came on the scene, Arsenal were not there at that price level. They weren't spending like they seem to be prepared to do now. But that shows that there was background and history to this. Fast forward to the summer just gone and, and coming towards sort of the springtime March, I, I think Arsenal had him on their radar yet again, uh, given he was approaching the final two years of his contract. And, um, you know, it's fair to say they were prioritizing somebody like Mason Mount, Ilkay Gundogan was in the mix. There were other names as well, but I think Kai Havertz was in and amongst it. And, and Mikel Arteta was a firm fan of his. And so I think it was he who was sort of uh, driving this. Uh, Edu as sporting director was on board as well. And it really developed very quickly when Havertz um, started to be linked with uh, Real Madrid in particular and Bayern Munich a little bit too. I started to check this out and was told... No, not so sure. You know, Bayern were there a little bit. Real Madrid, they were waiting to see what was unfolding with Harry Kane, etc. Once he found out about Arsenal's interest, I'm told um, that there was a Zoom conversation with Mikel Arteta and Havertz was fully committed to Arsenal. That was his desire. There's a very different sort of perception in the public to the reality in private and what people see of Havertz sort of behind the scenes and how they're working um, to, to make him most effective. Don't forget that he's learning a new role at a new club with a new group of players who had pretty much solidified their way of playing last season and he comes into it. Um, and it, it is going to take some time, but but I think you know everything I hear suggests that firstly, he's ultra committed and and 
dedicated and football obsessed to get this right and work with the coaches. Uh, and furthermore, his attitude behind the scenes and and the application that he puts in, um, his conduct, which is something I heard at Chelsea as well, beyond reproach. Like he, he really is a very popular character with players and staff and away from the pitch throughout his career. He's worked with physios for, for his recovery and conditioning and things like that. So I think you saw some good signs in pre-season um, and you actually saw this back post routine that was then executed mm. again uh, at Brentford on Saturday. There's an appreciation that it, it's going to take some time uh, and he's a shy guy. So I think there was a lot of goodwill towards him, not because he's had a crisis in confidence or anything like that. I think there's been a bit bit of a misinterpretation on that too. I hear that like he he's he's very confident and calm and and not phased by what's going on. But because he's shy, I think they all sort of wanted to galvanize around him. And I hear they were singing his song in the dressing room as well, and and really sort of a huge amount of goodwill for him due to that popularity. And and I'm sure we'll come on to talk more about sort of his physical attributes. But another misconception in the public is you know maybe his his style. Um, but don't forget how tall he is and and the sort of the stride length. You know, it was described uh, to me as being sort of the difference between a long distance runner and a sprinter. A sprinter might make these shuttles and then be exhausted. But somebody like Havertz just goes and goes and goes. And that's why his distance is covered. His pressures are so high. And also the passing lines that he covers from an attacking perspective and a defensive one as well. Mm. So he's cutting out a lot of developing attacks from the opposition early on. I think the Germany left-back experiment was a bit of an anomaly and they've got really high hopes for him and and perhaps that was kick-started at Brentford on Saturday. Yeah, Amy, you're sort of nodding there and I just want to throw this one to you because we've spoken about how great a player he, he is. Rafa's seen him in Germany. He knows what he can do, full steam, um, languid as it may be. Um, but can we also just exercise some patience here you know we look at the fee can we just let go of the fee we look at darwin nunez for instance at liverpool you know big fee i think people have let go of the fee i think there has been a lot of patience do people round the table not think that there's been externally i think the fee has maybe skewed the perception you see a lot of memes and things on social media and when it you know he hasn't started as prolifically as maybe you'd expect for a 65 million pound player and then you you look at other players elsewhere in that sort of role somebody like Kudus has done great at, at West Ham so far for a lower value and he was a player that Arsenal kind of considered among many players in that sort of number eight role and perhaps he's been an easy target for external criticism but Amy, you can't. Um, you do understand the the sort of fan reaction uh, to an extent because when you sign a player for that money with his pedigree, you'd probably expect him to be scoring a, a little course, bit more, and, and maybe he would have himself. I think there's a I think there's a difference between fan reaction or public reaction mm. and fan reaction within the Arsenal community. I'm yep. not just talking about people at the training ground or whatever, who see him every day, who get to know him personally, who are obviously going to have a different view to anyone else out there that's just got to use their imagination. But, yeah, I, I do think that the the Arsenal supporters have found it tricky. You know, he's essentially coming to the team to replace a guy in Granit Xhaka who had a massive personality. I mean, in some in personality stakes, really at very opposite end of the scale to Kai Havertz. He does seem to be quite a shy, uh, humble guy. And Xhaka wore his emotions, you know, tattooed on his forehead virtually. 
So going from someone they had a very strong relationship with, who was quite responsible for some of the kind of atmosphere, especially positively in the last year or so, to someone that they don't know yet and they're kind of trying to comprehend. I think they have tried to be as patient and supportive as you probably could be with someone that comes with such a big price tag. How's he regarded in Germany, Raph? Well, with the same sense of we can't quite figure out what's what's happening to him because he was such a incredible talent. I remember there was a big debate, um, at least in some quarters, whether Bayern were right to pursue Leroy Sané when perhaps Kai Havertz was the more promising generational talent. I mean, I myself wrote that he was a generational talent and that was certainly the view at the time. And he hasn't quite delivered yet. I think Chelsea as we know, has been a very difficult place for attacking mm. players full stop to shine in recent years. So it wasn't all down to him. I think that ultimately the false nine position in a team like Chelsea that was quite direct and a little bit unstructured didn't do him much favour. I think he needed a lot more possession and a lot more people around him. And that's why I had high hopes for him coming into this deeper role at Arsenal. But it hasn't worked out as well, certainly not as quickly as I thought it would be. And yeah, for Germany, it's the same. I mean, he scored important goals in the World Cup in a game that ultimately wasn't important at all against Costa Rica. Tried to play as a false nine and there was a big clamor for Niklas Füllkrug to start games. So again, he was sort of on the wrong side of the public opinion, if you will, during the World Cup. And then since, of course, we've, we've seen that wingback experiment, which coincided with two very bad performances from Germany losing against Turkey and Austria. So he's still, as he is in England, to a certain extent, a man in search of his natural natural role, natural position. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I wonder if there's a part of it, you think about Leverkusen, he, has he afforded himself the opportunity for a team to play around him? He's clearly a fantastic player here, but where do you put him in the team to get the best out of him? Has he afforded himself that superstar kind of like, will pivot around Kai Havertz or not? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, we go back to, to the beginning of this conversation because we don't really see Havertz fully express himself and playing to his limit in any of those positions, that then makes it harder for coaches to say he has to play in this specific position. doesn't matter what happens around him. He plays at teams, well, for Germany and Arsenal, where there are players in similar position who are more reliable at this point. 
And it's very difficult for, for any manager to say, I believe in the player so much, he has to play there, even if he doesn't fully deliver. And that's why his versatility plays against him, because he can play in many different um, formations and positions. Managers want him involved, but he's being sort of put into an existing system that kind of works independently of him to a certain extent. Mm. And he hasn't been, hasn't made neither team his team, hasn't, hasn't made his position at either team his position. And Germany especially are so stacked with attacking midfielders or wingers that unless he plays a, a false nine where there isn't that much competition, it's also hard to say this moment in time he should play rather than Jamal Musiala, he should play rather than Leroy Sonny, he should play rather than Florian Wirtz or Julian Brandt. All these players are more consistent, even if they might not all of them have the same ceiling as he has. So I don't know how you're going to get out of that uh, vicious circle mm. of him not showing his full potential in perhaps a slightly wrong role to having that extended run in a role that will show the full potential to the extent that nobody can can argue anymore. But Raf or Amy, maybe he is showing, okay, not full potential yet, but to the people in the game, so players and coaches, um, they seem to love him. I've spoken to a number of players. When Arsenal signed Havertz, they were like, this is an absolutely massive signing for them. And coaches who work with him uh, see qualities that maybe are less obvious to the casual observer on the outside. So perhaps it's not a spectacular, as Io says, sort of build the team around me type player, but he plays a fundamental role. It's just that it may not be as eye-catching as many people thought as he came through in football. And don't get me wrong, there's still clearly a lot to be worked on. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been on the bench at Brentford on Saturday, for example. But if somebody like Mikel Arteta swears by him and and he and he's thought so highly within the German national team, and let's remember that Arsenal right now are sitting top of the league and, and he's played a part in that. So are we being a bit harsh? I don't know. I mean, I think you're right to say Mikel sort of swears by him, but he swore by Willian and, you know, <laughs> you, you have to regard things individually um, and, you know, the, the every single transfer in the history of football comes with an element of risk. You know, you can do as much homework as you want. You can get as many scouts and as many reviews and as many pieces of data as you want to help you uh, make your mind up. But in the end, it just happens sometimes that things, for whatever reason, that maybe you can't see possibly going wrong, just don't. I mean, I, st I still look at Antoine Griezmann, for example, the player I love, and think, what was that at Barcelona? You know, he's such a fine player and it almost seems so strange that it just didn't happen at all. But, you know, sometimes the fit, for whatever reason, is not quite right. Um, just on, on habits, there's a couple of things Am I mad in actually quite liking the idea of him as a false nine, even if that wasn't the intention? Because I still think in a in a team like Arsenal's rather than Chelsea that I can I can visualise that if he finds his confidence actually being quite interesting and effective. And secondly, you know, you just mentioned David this idea that you know obviously you don't necessarily get him to be the man that you build a team. I don't know if you build a team around an individual mm. anymore in the way football has become so ultra competitive. But is he still got a, a notion about him that he's a bit of a luxury player in an age when there aren't that many luxury players? I mean, you know, there are people who make that comparison to him being like a kind of 
tallish Urzil type. Urzil, yeah, um, that's the likely. You one. know, I I don't know yet. I still feel like I'm. I I don't want to make any judgments yet. I'm still kind of waiting and hoping, and I wouldn't say expecting, but let's just see if there can be a bit more of a click where he can find more of the consistency and more of the output that makes everything make more sense. I think David is right. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that perhaps we don't really pick up so much and and coaches love it, um, love his positioning, love his behavior, love his cleanness, on his technique, etc. At the same time, I'm always a little bit suspicious when coaches are overly um, uh, complimentary of a player. Mm. Um, and Nagelsmann last week was a perfect example. Having come up with this experiment that nobody could quite understand, he then said after the Turkey game, Havertz had had a world-class performance, which I think really stretched credulity a little bit. Uh, he did score a goal, but... Um, yeah, I think world class was a little bit uh, over egging the pudding. And the same you get sometimes with Ateta. I think Ateta's backing is real. I think it's genuine. I hear from people close to Harvard said he gets a lot of support from him within the club, from within the dressing room. And I think you see that. You saw that when he got uh, given almost a penalty. He hasn't scored in his last 20 club appearances. Could he get his first goal for the Gunners here? Uh, as a not present but as a, as a way of sort of getting him involved more um, the penalty against um, Bournemouth I think that showed you just how much people want him to succeed and clearly rate him because at this level no one wants a player to succeed simply because he's a nice guy they want him to succeed because they think there is something very special and they want to help him so that part is genuine but at the same time as I said earlier, I think Ateta is very heavily invested in this working out. If at Arsenal you sign a player for this kind of money and it doesn't work out, I think that makes a massive difference. It has to work out to a certain extent if Arsenal's trajectory is to continue. It's interesting that there wasn't this massive market for him, it seemed, at the price that Chelsea wanted, which was around £70 million reportedly. Um, and so it took some sort of manoeuvring for them to come down. And then still a bit of surprise when Arsenal came in at the 65 because it wasn't as if they were in a battle and some of those other players that they were looking at or linked with were of a, a lower price point, certainly in the case of, of Mount, Kudus, uh, people when they were mentioning Barella. I mean, I even spoke to people at Chelsea who who knew that he wasn't playing in his finest position, especially last season. And I, I saw a lot of them then. Um, and they thought, whether it be staying at Chelsea or moving elsewhere, that he would actually be most effective in the Mount type role. But because they'd had Mount there before and they needed a focal point of their attack, they were sort of having no choice but to put him there. And to Amy's point on the false nine thing, I, I remember back we were at Wembley for the Community Shield and I know that's just a, an exhibition match, but he actually caused Man City a few problems and Arsenal won that day. Um I just don't think from the people I speak to who know a hell of a lot more than me that him having his back to goal is where anybody sees him. He, he's on a high salary, sort of in the region, basic salary of £275,000 a week, which Arsenal sort of matched from what he was on at Chelsea. And that comes with some emphasis as well. Uh, we kind of all expect to see something like outwardly glamorous and, and perhaps the role at the moment is a little bit more subtle. 
Yeah, and also I think the contrast between him and Odegaard is so stark. Odegaard picks up the ball in similar areas on the right. You feel something is about to happen. There's so much energy, so much dynamism. Every move seems to kind of threaten the opposition. And Havertz is is a lot more safer in his distribution, doesn't take on players. He's not a dribbler um, and it looks slow. And I don't think it necessarily is, but it looks slow with him. And you just don't get that sense of excitement and sense of, yes, yeah, something might happen. And then when you see people kind of on social media defending him and putting, you know, little high cl clips together of his highlights, you see like a, a play, like, you know, doing a lot of good stuff, but not really the stuff that necessarily gets people out of their seats and thinks, wow, you know, Havertz made such a difference again for us today. Well, I tell you what, let's get down to Havertz's numbers. Here's Mark Carey with the lowdown. Kai Havertz's goal at the weekend was just his second of the season and many fans will point to his lack of productivity and attack as one of his key shortcomings at Arsenal so far but it's clear that Havertz is valued by Mikel Arteta for the work that he does off the ball. Now it might not make his highlights real but Havertz is really intelligent in his defensive positioning and he doesn't shy away from a challenge when he needs to. And the numbers back this up when looking at all Arsenal players to play 500 minutes or more in the Premier League this season. First up, we can look at Havertz's volume of true tackles. Now, this is tackles plus challenges lost, plus fouls committed to essentially provide a clearer idea of a player's tendency to stick a foot in, if you like. And when controlled for possession, Havertz's 6.4 true tackles are the third most in the Arsenal squad, which shows that he adds plenty of bite to the team out of possession. And similarly, his tendency to, to read the play and display that intelligent defensive positioning is shown by his 1.4 blocked passes per 90 minutes. Now, this is the second most in the Arsenal squad. Uh, of course, these aren't going to be the primary attributes that Arsenal have brought him in for, but Havertz has been really effective off the ball and has been a key reason why Arteta's side have improved defensively overall so far this season. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimole. We've just heard about how good Kai Havertz is out of possession. And also, if you think about it, the team are better defensively. But Amy, you've, you've written about this, and I, I quote you on this. You, you say that results are similar, but the feeling is slightly confusing. The enjoyment, not 
quite as accessible. I mean, the fireworks of last season just aren't there this season, are they? I, I likened it to uh, a difficult second album. Um, it, it, it feels to me as if Arsenal are trying to do something a bit differently and they're in the process of like trying out essentially, you know, um, different rhythms and different harmonies and maybe turning electric where they were acoustic. It's just <laughs> the vibe is not the same. And it is a slightly tougher watch. You know, that's just a fact because last season so much emphasis was on this kind of fizzing attack and, you know, really like going for it. But you can see the thought process very easily. I mean, it makes sense for when you look at what happened last season, how do you take this team up a gear? And the most obvious thing was that defensively, Arsenal gave away far too many easy chances with individual errors and were just not solid enough. Uh, the goals against record was not uh, as strong at all compared to their goals for record. So particularly the introduction of Declan Rice has just been majestically successful. And that trio that he forms with Saliba and Gabriel is arguably as good a base as anything out there. Um, for a football team and structurally that has helped Arsenal immeasurably to become a different proposition I think in terms of their solidity and having that reliable base notwithstanding a few goalkeeping howlers or this or that that you know they they, they haven't been punished for in, in all cases but you know they've still got their wobbles but they seem fundamentally uh, much more resilient and much more robust I think it's pretty impossible to probably change the defensive side without sacrificing something of the uh, electricity and attack. Yeah, if they can somehow marry some of the attacking instincts of last season with this uh, more refined defence, I think it's going to be very interesting, but it's a hard trick to pull off. Yeah, let's stay with the music analogy. Rafa, you, you nodded at the sec, uh, difficult second album quote from uh, Amy. I mean, look, our, our team's just sussing Arsenal out. They, they've seen what they can do last season. This team, this season's going to be much more difficult. You've seen how isolated sometimes the wing players like Martinelli and Saka are to, to nullify that classic attack that Arsenal perfected last season. Uh, yeah, there's an element of that. I mean, Arsenal were a surprise package still last year, but I think it's more to do with these processes that are so important. Um, I can't remember who made the point to me, but after a game, somebody was saying, look, the left-hand side is all new. You know, um, there's uh, we don't have the same uh, kind of, uh, again, relating to, to Kai Havertz, we don't have the same kind of rhythm that we had um, last year when they played together for such a long time and everyone knew what they were doing, um, or the right side now. And um, I guess there's something in that. But in a way, this should be very encouraging. We we haven't seen Arsenal play that well yet, but uh, the top of the league with nearly a third of the the season gone, and that is very encouraging. And they've done that while playing in the Champions League, which for a young team or young in the sense that they're still fresh as a unit um, is quite difficult and exerting as well. So let's let's see the positives. Let's say that they can still harmonize better and find their groove a bit more with with more practice yeah i'm with the guys on that famous last words but just looking at their fixtures they don't play so-called big clubs the biggest back to back at all for the rest of the season 
So maybe you could say they play Chelsea followed by Man City. Obviously, it hasn't been the best last couple of years for Chelsea. Um, but otherwise, it's, it's relatively inviting. And they haven't been ravaged by injuries uh, so far. They've got Smith Rowe to come back, for example. Um, watching them at Brentford, it's just one game. But I very rarely in recent years remember them controlling away from home quite as authoritatively as that. Now, you can point to the close shaves on Ramsdale, but they were kind of isolated incidents that weren't the repercussion of a destability in the team, lack of stability in the team. And the way uh, from the centre-halves, Zinchenko into Rice, who I just think has been an incredible signing, um, and and the control from the attacking players of Saka and, and Jesus in particular, of course, maybe not as prolific and they're not finishing chances and it was a slender lead um, that, that that turned into a victory. But I think they're in like quietly really good shape. Let's see if they can do anything in the January transfer window, what the finances will be, which you suspect, given how last summer ended, only doing the Raya deal on loan, um, suggested they're quite close to the line on FFP. So um, I don't know what manoeuvrability there is there. And, you know, you do hear of a, a possible midfielder still, depending on what happens on party and, and Jorginho, the striker thing sounds like it will be addressed more probably in the summer. Um, but, you know, looking at form of other teams, injuries and availability for Arsenal to be, sitting at the top of the table right now, I think they'll be in really uh, confident mood. Yeah. Amy, I mean, it's final well done this from you then, really. Um, would you say Arsenal are in a better position overall then uh, compared to last season, especially at this stage in the season? I would, mostly because they've got a bit of experience behind them uh, and they have, theoretically at least, I think, um, improved their squad. It's really a shame not to have Timber, who I think... Mm would have been an absolute star in this team already. Um, and if there are, you know, if he can possibly get back any sooner that he manages to feature uh, into the new year before the season's out, that would be really great. But Declan Rice, it, it's difficult to overstate what a, a monster he has become like in every way, physically, mentally. Uh, he leads by example... He's got such a presence. I think that he has really changed things. It's about keeping players fit. That was really Arsenal's downfall, the cluster injuries, losing Saliba and not having a replacement of the quality of, say, Tomiyasu was really damaging. So I think that, I think fitness is huge and they will be trying to improve together and, and they've certainly got the attitude for that. Uh, you know, They've got the manager who's driving that into them and they want to do it. So... Bring it on. Thanks so much, you guys, for your time. Amy, Rafa, and also David, of course. Remember to rate and review the podcast. If you've been enjoying it, don't forget to sign up to The Athletic today for a special limited offer of just £1 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic.